If you have your Bibles, we're going to focus on a book in the Bible. We're going to focus on the book of Malachi. And uh, we're going to begin to get a hold of God to, today because I think that God is going to help us and give us a lot of help today. This morning, if you have your Bible, go to Malachi. You can stay right in the beginning of the, of the book of Malachi and you're going to hear from God. And uh, hold on one second, got to do some maintenance here. Wesley, you behave for your mother and stop making noise. The Bible um, is an interesting uh, book on its own. But the book of Malachi is, is a significant book for us. And it's an interesting book uh, because it has some insights that I believe will help us. And it talks about a number of issues that I'd like to touch on today. And I'm going to just read uh, from Malachi chapter 1, verse 1 this morning. And I'm just going to read one scripture. And I'm going to believe that God's going to help us as I read it and we discuss this book. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Let's pray. Lord Father God, I ask you this morning to put your burden upon our hearts, that you would speak to us and that you would do a supernatural event, that you would, through your Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ, that you would wash over our minds from the top of our heads the soles of our feet, that you would make us whole and complete through your precious blood. And I ask you, Lord, to place a burden upon our hearts that would allow us to see what you wish for our lives and that your will be done here today. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. See, the word burden is a very powerful word. You know, most of us don't think of it that way because we live in a modern society where everything is carried for us. What I mean by that is, you know, we don't do a lot of back-breaking labor like we once had to times past. You know, we get water delivered to our house. I don't know if you realize that. It's pretty cruddy water. But it's actually delivered right to your house. You know, there is a time and there are places in the world where people still have to carry. You know, you've seen the pictures of the, you know, the African woman. And she has, you know, I don't know if you realize it, but she has at the least, you know, 25 to 50 pounds of water on her head as she walks miles at a time. And if they're fortunate, they'll have a, 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 an animal that they can use to carry that burden for them. But then, of course, the burden changes because now the caretaking of that animal becomes a burden that they must 
take off. But while we don't always see the significance of it, I think this morning, if we're honest with each other, we can see the significance of the burden that we all carry. Each and every one of us has a burden. You wouldn't be here this morning if there wasn't some sense of burden upon your life. And that's what this book is about. That's what this beginning verse is about. The burden of God. The deep and weighty desire of God. That he has a deep desire for you. As you sit in your seat, as maybe you have all these other things that are distracting you, or maybe you're just sitting there hoping this morning that something is going to happen. God, he has a burden for you. And along with that burden comes a sense of accountability and responsibility to God. As well as a sense of the hardship and the affliction that God this morning understands about your life. One of the things that I emphasize, especially when I'm dealing with young people, which is my background, you know, I started this ministry thing by working with kids. I've often told you that the burden God put on my heart was that I had a bunch of kids following me around like a duck. And I knew that deep down, you know, I was the lean duck and they were walking around and they wanted to be around me. You know, at first it was because I was long-haired and weird-looking. And they were like, whoa, who's this long-haired guy who came into the church? Right? And then it was just, you know, all the kinds of fun that my wife would have with them. And they were like, Denise is so much fun. I hope we can have fun with Denise. We can play around and goof off. You know, Pastor Fussell, this, he preached for us kids, and I really, really appreciated how he said his wife is a, is a woman of the Lord. She fasts, and she prays, and she does certain things. And my wife has gone through many periods where, you know, you guys don't see it, but she's a holy woman. There's a holiness to her. And no, she's not perfect. But one of the things that I really appreciate was he said, you know, but nobody really knows it because she's just a big old goofball. She's known for her smile and her laugh, you know. And I remember, you know, even if I'm honest, I'm ashamed to say this, but there were times where, you know, my wife would be having the best time in the world. And I'd be like, well, you know, she doesn't really look like, like a disciple the way she should. You know, I, I want her to be, you know, a little bit more professional. And so even me, you know, I have a burden. You know, when I went to that youth rally, I, he preached that, and I thought to myself, you know, I need to make my wife laugh the way she always has. I need to put that joy inside of her so that she enjoys like she did when we first got saved. I shared with you about my wife. You know, she had many, many issues. We had many, many issues. And I remember how God's word would just heal our issues. And, and there would be such joy from that. I remember, I always tell the story about, you know, my wife wasn't a Bible reader. She grew up reading the word of God. And I knew the word of God. It was almost something that was, uh, I, took, I took for granted. I know, I knew all the stories of the Bible. Now, I didn't grow up religious per se, but I grew up Catholic. 
And I also grew up learning. I was able to go to college. And I, I, I studied the word of God. I wasn't saved. But I knew it. And I remember my wife would say, you know, you know all this stuff. It's easy for you. It's not easy for me. And I began to pray. I began to contend for her. For God's word to open up. And I, I still remember and I still have great joy in my heart. And I'm sorry if you've heard this story a million times. But I remember my wife calling me up. And I didn't want to talk to her. And I just hung up the phone. You know, I just sort of ignored it. You know, I didn't hang up. And I did the old beep beep thing, you know, where it just goes on, you know. And then I got convicted because God said, you know, she knows you're doing that. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, but I'm busy. You know, she'll be. I told her when I'm busy, I'm going to do that. And God said, she knows what you're doing. Do you really need to do that? And I got up on the phone. I called her, you know. I called her back. When I called her back, I remember she said, hey, you know that phrase, the writing on the wall? Can you see the writing on the wall? I said, yeah. She goes, you know that's from the Bible? I said, yeah. She goes, do you know the story about what it is, about it, how it is in the Bible? Yeah. She goes, that's amazing. It was amazing. It blew her mind. Because, you know, there's a burden on God's heart for you to understand Him. For you to know Him. And that's why he keeps his presence here for us all the time. We don't know he's doing it. We don't know. That's why I like being the, the nerdy pastor, the, the, the dorky pastor who, who is like, you know, that, that actually comes from the Bible. I like that. When my teens have no idea that what they're doing is something that's rooted in God. And I can inform them. And I love doing that with my children. I'm sorry. Because God put it on the heart 
of a king to allow the Jews to have this revival. And there was a degree of revival. And there was presence of God that was evident. The problem is that people failed to follow through. The nation began to settle for a level of mediocrity. And what they ended up doing was they were maintaining appearances. And they began to have something happen in their attitude that caused them to have great danger of judgment coming upon them. God began to take his hand off the people. And he started to lead them to let them go on their own way. And that's the significance of the book of Malachi. This is the last book, the last revelation. The last word that God speaks. Some of you might be here thinking, I haven't heard from God in a while. Well, how about 455 years? Because that's what they're going through. They haven't heard from God in a long, long time. The last revelation of God would not happen for 445 years. God is silent. God is not moving outwardly. He does not speak until he speaks to John the Baptist or John the Baptist's father who doesn't believe him. How about that? God's silent for 445 years. He finally says something and the guy has the gall to go, that's ridiculous. You thought you were bad Christians. But this is what's going on. And this is what happens to us. You know, we, we, go, to this, we go through this period where we're unresponsive to God's love. But yet we're complaining that he's not around. You know, our religion remains intact. You ever met the person, oh, I still believe in God. Yeah, but your trailer has no water. Hey. It's a, you, you end up taking on like a religious spirit where like, you know, God better come and you better say the right thing. I'm not just talking about God showing up. I'm talking about God saying the right thing. And this is a burden on God's heart. That's what, that's what the book of Malachi says. He says it's a burden on my heart. I, I'm, I'm vexed about this because I want to restore and redeem you, but I know how you are. You're going to be business as usual. And you're going to look at what I'm saying and you're going to just lightly overlook it. How many of us do this? God says, pray more. And we're like, yep. Yeah. Um, you want to go to Jason's deli? 
Monkeys all day and all night. 
and yet God's doing more in them than anyone else. We miss the reality and we start to pout like a brat. I mean, I don't mean to, I don't mean to do this, but he's young enough I can still make fun of him. What is it that, you know what he did? That was ridiculous. He didn't want me to have that. It's ridiculous. Every kid in this place loves him. He's a miracle child. But the truth is, he can lose the reality of his relationship here in this place. Because he's just a little boy. But me and you, our parents here, we're here to raise our children up to not just be little boys, but to be children of God and then to become men and women and leaders and, and people who will change the world for Jesus and spread the gospel to the far ends of the earth. Because that's a burden on our Father's heart. And that burden, He's placed on your heart and that's why you feel incomplete. That's why there's always another toy. There's always another gadget. There's always another house. There's always another. There's always another dress. There's always another, uh, you know, gun. Guys, they're never going to make you happy. What's going to make you happy is to serve God with your heart. You know this. This book, it, it begins to talk about the failure to honor God. It always starts there. See, you, you, you say to yourself, I'll serve God from my heart. But what happens is you fail to honor Him, and then all of a sudden you fail to serve Him with your heart. The failure of one always leads to the failure of another. This is the response to God. It's almost defiant in this book. And disrespectful. That service is a dreaded duty. Right? Oh, really, Pastor? Oh, my. Really? You're thinking about having us clean after service? Yeah, I've been thinking about it. Yeah. Why not? It's good for the kids. You know? They make a mess. We can teach them how to clean it. You know, in India, every single church there in India, our church is in India, almost every single one of them, they have church service, then they all clean the church. Then they walk home, they eat, and then they come back to church. <coughs> That's what they do. There's like two or three of them that have, you know, those little moped bikes. That's it. Yet they pack 180 people in a building. Praising God. They see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They have pastors go over there because God touches their heart and then all of a sudden they walk in there, they get the worst guy in the whole entire community saved. Everyone is amazed. They all come to church just to check it out. Right? And then a business leader goes, hey, I got some land. My son, I'm not really into this Christian thing, but my son, he's, he's totally transformed. Here is a, here's some land. Build another church. Because God has a burden on his heart 
when you honor him, the, the attitude begins to change. See, in the Bible and in this story, we use some terms here that can confuse you, and that's why I want to go into them a little bit. In this scripture, it says, you offered defiled food. When I was talking about the disgusting and dis, dis, the attitude that they had, that was kind of uh, just totally um, uh, just, just offensive to God, it was this attitude that when he said, you offered me defiled food, they know the rituals, and they go, in what way? It's like when a teenager, when you're talking to a teenager and you say, you know, you're, you're not even serving God. And they go, I went to church. I've come to, in what way, Pastor? I'm coming to church. And I don't mean to pick up the teens if you're a wonderful thing. Yes, I'm just using you as, I'm just using you because you're easy, you know, you're easy for me. Because I've been with you for a while. I want to pick on anyone that's, you know, hasn't been around me. But follow me here. You know, they, they ignore the fact that there's, parents got saved, but their parents are the reason they're here. They ignore the fact that, you know, they're, they're, they're actually just thinking about, you know, who they're going to text after service. They, they ignore the fact that they're wondering about Sean Mendes right in the middle of the sermon. Or whoever else. They ignore those things. They ignore the fact that they're twiddling their thumbs and, and bored with the Word of God. And they say, in what way? And that's what's going on here. He says, you offer me defiled words, or defiled food, and they say, in what way? And the action gives voice to the reality of, the, of their hearts. He says, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Read verse 8. Put verse 8 up there for me. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? This is why I say, are you acting better in school than you are in church? Do you sit there at school with inattention and look eyes on the teacher with your notebook? But then when you're in church... You're like, whatever, I can say it's, it's go time now. Right? It's a good opportunity for me. My mom's going to be paying attention to the pastor. You know? We can do that. And, we, and I'm not just talking about kids here. I'm talking about parents. I'm talking about all of us. We can just take the leftovers. Here's the leftovers, God. That's why the tithe is the first of your offerings. Paul says, don't, don't, don't act like, you know, when I get there, you're going to make a collection. Take the first that you have and put it forward for me. Because I don't want you to be disrespectful of God. You know? He doesn't want to show up and then go, oh, is this one that he's coming? Oh, God. Let me go back to the house. I'll make him a duck. See, we, we can do this, and, and what happens is it's because we stopped honoring him. Slowly but surely, in our hearts, we began to, to stop doing the things that were honorable to God. 
This is what happens to people in church service. They get out of the habit of going to church. Right? It can be very inconvenient. As you teens saw at my house, my house is very inconvenient, isn't it? We don't have the breakfast ready. We don't know where the stuff is. Where is this? Where is that? We're looking around. Right? We're doing this. We're doing that. We're just like any other house. See? You get to that attitude that this is just a real drag. You become weary, you become listless, you become lethargic, you become indifferent. Come bored. This results in worship services that end up doing the opposite. See, I, I want to just tell you, you know, this morning that, you know, I don't care how many people are here, I don't care how good of a singer you are, I don't care how well you clap. But we have a responsibility to usher in the presence of God. He inhabits the praises of his people, not the attendance of his people. You know, I had to learn this. But I want to tell you something. I was blown away when just a few people worshiped God with all their heart and all their soul. And I've seen it time and time again. I've seen bigger churches. Their biggest struggle is they have all sections that aren't worshiping God. They begin to become a virus. But it can happen here too. It can happen anywhere. And what happens is a curse becomes released upon your life. Because all of a sudden, God's looking down at the two people who are worshiping him. But he's also looking down at the others that aren't. Scripture in chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Put that up for me, brother. It begins to play out as I close here. You can't separate things, the things of, things of God. They become profane. And God uses the image of marriage here. Malachi, chapter 2, verse 14. He says, you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with you whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. I, I want to tell you something. God put you in the place you got saved for a reason. And he calls the church his bride. And that you know, some people will they'll they'll come again, you know, they, they are backslidden. And they will say things like, I'm not, you know, I've seen people who have been in churches that were dying. You know, our fellowship was based on a man of God coming into a church that was dead on us, but there were people in there that were still serving God. They had pastors that were were with moral failures. They had a, a leadership that was failing them. But these people, they were still serving God. And then God brought a man to bring revival. 
Look at John Wesley. He became a pastor and he wasn't even saved. He was in a dead fellowship. But the second he responded to God, God made a move. And he would learn that valuable lesson for the rest of his life. He would say for the rest of his life, you know what? Here's the deal, God. I'll take men who have your Holy Spirit over anything else. And he started a revolution. He started a revolution. That's why my Catholic relatives are nice to me, because they're like, you know, I'm named Wesley, Wesley Adam, after my dad, whose name is John Wesley. And they're like, we ain't messing with that. That guy used to preach, and like people just fell down in the middle of the woods. <laughs> we're not messing with that guy. My aunt would just say things like, I wish that you were doing that for the Catholic Church. I wish they got me saved. See? Amen? Yeah. See, because the, the, the loss of the revelation in your life, it can become something that makes you lose the nature of God. You can become someone who wearies God by doing things that and saying things about all these people who do evil and acting as if it's good in the sight of the Lord. And it's not. You can lack and fail and refuse to exercise the proper discernment, the proper discrimination, the proper judgment that is righteous. You know? One of the things I love more than anything about working with teens is when they give me that look like, you know, that, 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 you know I'm not paying attention to something or, or whatever, and they, they give me that look like, hey, pastor, something's going on that shouldn't be going on. I love that. Because I'm like, wow, there, there's something happening here. God is working in them. You know, they're not, they're not they don't just want to, you know, like sometimes on my Google phone, I play music on the Google thing, you know? And, and some of the teams will be like, no, that's a bad one, Pastor. Okay, thank you. Right? Because nowadays it's hard now. You know, I put it on that thing, it just keeps on playing songs. And then I go, let's just play the worship songs. Because I don't want to get in trouble. Right? But that's an amazing thing. That's a powerful thing. But we can lose that. I close with this because it all comes back to the beginning. The beginning of the scripture. There's two distinct groups of people. Two distinct groups of people. There are the ones that respond to the burden of the word and the ones who do not. Those are the people that he's talking about here. He's saying, listen, I have this burden and I want you to hear it. Please, please respond to me. Don't answer me the wrong way. Don't come to me with the wrong ideas. You know, I have a brother that is near and dear to my heart. I call him brother very loosely, though, because he no longer serves Jesus. And he has lost his faith in God. And he's out in the wilderness 
And all I hear is tragic event after tragic event after tragic event. And we never stop being friends. We never stop caring about each other. Although we don't talk anymore, really. But I want to tell you something. One of the things that breaks my heart as I think about his broken home, his broken family, and all the things that have been broken in his life, is I remember when we were serving God together. And I noticed a shift. I noticed a shift. And I remember that one time when this church was going through a lot of turmoil, we were, uh, we were the only ones standing. Just me and him. That was it, and the pastor. And the pastor was barely standing. And we can be honest with you, it was just me and him and the pastor. And I remember, you know, so by the way, don't feel bad for yourself, guys. If you don't think there's enough men in here, just start recruiting. But I'll tell you something. We were sitting there, and I remember I grabbed a coffee cup. I was in his house. I grabbed a coffee cup. And I threw it against the wall. It shattered all over the place. Because he was talking about quitting. And I remember looking at him and I said to him, Bro, aren't we supposed to tear down the high places? Because he had taught me that. To tear down the evil things in the world. He taught me that. And I remember that. And I remember walking into his house as I noticed the shift and I remember walking downstairs and it was dark. And I remember that. And I walked down into the dark stairs and as I got to the bottom of those stairs I looked over. I looked over and he was playing a video game. And on the video game was pornography. On a video game, his kids were upstairs. His wife upstairs. And he looked at me and he said, it's just a video game. And I walked up the stairs. And waited for him to come out of the darkness. And we spoke for a few minutes. And he knew that it wasn't just a video. I don't say that lightly. I say that because at some point in our lives, for that to happen, because you don't hear the burden of the Lord anymore. You don't hear the burden of the Lord's heart. And I want to tell you, the, the effects, the aftermath of that are still being seen. But the truth is that the hope is in the scripture. Because in Malachi, 
God proclaims a Savior. In the book of Malachi, he tells us that young men will dream dreams. That old men will prophesy and that the Lord will come and he will save the world. That's the message of this book. And I want to tell you something. It doesn't change today any more than it changed thousands of years ago when this book was written. Some people heard that burden and we call them saints. Peter, Paul, Joseph, Mary, the disciples, James and John. See, they're saints because they heard the burden of the Lord and they responded. And today you can respond. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. We serve a good God. He's a loving God. And I want to tell you something. 